Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And no one said, Amen. We were talking last week about how there's three tests that you have to pass before you step into the next miracle that God has for you. Last week, we were talking about the test of your appetite. It goes on to say that Satan told Jesus, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, no, I'm not, because whoever feeds me controls me, and I ain't going to let you control me. So this week is test number two in verse five. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God. Look at your neighbor and say, what you mean if? What, what do you mean if? Do, do you know who I is? He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, I will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is also written. Don't miss that. Y'all know Satan quotes scripture, right? Satan knows more Bible than some believers do. And he'll manipulate it. Jesus said, no, it's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful. We declare that we believe in you. You are a God of signs, wonders, and miracles. And God, we know that as we're sitting in these rooms, you're working on our behalf. God, you're in that office, you're in that hospital room, and you're in that home. God, you're doing things that we can't do in our own strength. So we extend our faith right now and say, God, do what only you can do. And we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. I don't know about you, but even though I am 36, I have certain encounters as a child that I remember as if it were yesterday. I remember the touchdowns that I scored. I remember the one time in my life I dunked a basketball. I remember the multiple times I fell off my bike and split my head wide open. <laughs> I was thinking as I was preparing this message, though, I think probably the dumbest crash I've ever had as a kid was nobody else's fault but my own. <laughs> remember when I was about 12, 13, we had moved into a new house, and it was one of those neighborhoods where they were still building houses in the neighborhood, so they had left equipment around as they were building. And they had left one of those, you know those like trailers where they put the backhoe on and they tow it different places? So picture this flat trailer with a ramp to drive the tractor up on top. Well, the tractor wasn't there, it was just a flat trailer with a ramp. For a 12-year-old, it's the X Games. We don't watch Tony Hawk and all his friends, and I know he's a professional, but I think I can do that too. Let's go. And then they were dumb enough to leave this trailer at the bottom of a street that was a complete hill. So me and all the people that I thought were my friends until they laughed at me when I crashed and I realized we were never friends in the first place, we said, this looks like God, let's do this. 
So we go to the top of the hill and everybody's on their bike. The only problem is their parents loved them. So they had mongoose stunt bikes. I'm not saying that my parents didn't love me. I'm just saying I was riding the Barney Purple 10-speed mountain bike when for a 12-year-old, do you really love me if you didn't buy me a stunt bike? So my first friend goes down and he hits the ramp and he jumps off and he lands and he skids and all the guys are like, oh, and all the girls are like, ah, and I'm like, I want to make them scream for me. The next guy goes down and he jumps and landed the third guy and it's now my turn. I'm on the top of the hill and I'm like, what have I gotten myself? Yo, I don't do heights. I don't do roller coasters. I don't do jumping down stuff. I was like, this is a bad idea. And I'm up there and I'm just like, nah, never mind. I changed. And everybody at the, the girls were screaming. The guy, do it, do it, do By the way, all the worst decisions you ever made in college came when somebody was like, do it, or drink it, drink it. <laughs> like, oh, that was a really bad decision. I got a final tomorrow. Anyway, so they're yelling, do it. And I'm like, I ain't no punk. I'm going to do it. So I start pedaling down this hill. Hear me. When you are fully committed to a bad decision, it's a bad decision. When you are partially committed to a bad decision, it's an even worse decision. Because there's a certain speed you have to get up if you're going to hit that ramp. I'm riding down the hill, but I hadn't made up my mind yet whether I wanted to do it or not. So I wasn't going fast enough. All I remember is I hit that ramp, and then I woke up. And they're like, are you okay? <laughs> like, don't touch me. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 4, we find the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus himself, in a place I would never picture finding Jesus. We find him on top of a cliff with Satan screaming, do it, do it, do it. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is dumb. How did Jesus get there? Well, how he got there was he was beginning his ministry. God, his father, who sent him here, who sent him here to be the savior of the world, said, Jesus, now's your moment. Now's your time. This is what you were made for. John the Baptist declares, here comes the one we've prophesied about for thousands of years. He is so great. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. A dove representing the Holy Spirit descends upon. Yo, God the Father was so excited, he cracked the sky open and said, hey, that's my boy. In him I love and I'm well. Could you imagine how scary it was to hear some voice out of the sky saying, that's my son. In him I, it was Jesus' introduction to the world. I'm thinking if you're getting introduced, it's now your moment to show out. This is where you take the five loaves and the two fish and you feed the 5,000. This is where you turn the water into wine. We all get turned. This is the moment where you do what you do. No, 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 no. After he was introduced, he was taken to no man's land. 
said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy because God understood, before I can promote you, I've got to test you. Here it is, the enemy thought he had a free attack on Jesus, not realizing that God was actually using him to tempt Jesus, to test what was really in his heart. Hear me, there is never a free attack on your life. It's always God testing you to prepare you for what he has next for you. Now you would say, why would God test me? The same reason why a professor would test you to make sure you have the tools that you need to go to the next season and to maximize that season. God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants you to be able to keep the blessing. And if I give you something that you don't have the character to keep, you'll end up losing it. So he said, I've got to test you. The first thing he tested was his appetite. Can you control yourself? Turn this stone into bread. Jesus said, I will not, because the Bible says man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Jesus said, here, I know whoever feeds me controls me. And I'm not going to let you control me because you don't have my best interest at heart. Satan says, okay, the first test failed. Let's try the second one. He takes him to the top of the temple, which was overlooking the Kidron Valley, a 200-foot drop, and says, jump. Now, I'm looking, I know I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to explain the Bible to you, right? But some stuff I don't even understand. I'm looking at him say, Jesus, jump off a cliff. And I'm like, that's a real bad temptation. That's, that's not very difficult to say no to. Hey, you want to jump and die? No, I'm good. You, you're going to tempt me with jumping off of stuff. That's not going to. Now, some of y'all, y'all don't love Jesus, so y'all be jumping off of anything. Oh my gosh, for my 50th birthday, I want to jump out of an airplane. You've got to be out your mind to jump. There ain't nothing wrong with the plane. It ain't broke. Nobody threw you. You Why would I just needed a rush. You know what's a rush? Getting your three kids to bed on time and sitting on the couch in peace. That's a rush. Jumping out of a plane. There's 15 other ways to die on ground level. You don't got to die up there. But I'm looking, I'm like, this is dumb. Nobody would jump off a cliff. Why would he tell him to? Then all of a sudden, I realized it wasn't about the jump. It wasn't about the cliff. Here's what Satan really was saying. You're Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're God. Well, when Noah showed up, he predicted a flood and built an ark. When Abraham showed up, he birthed a nation. Moses parted a sea. David killed a giant. Elijah called fire from heaven. Every part prophet comes with a party trick. So if you're this big bad Messiah, prove it. It wasn't about jumping off a cliff. It was if you say you are who you say you are. I double dog, honey, Satan, I double demon dare you. <laughs> That's how you know not to do it. He was saying, prove yours. Here's the second test. It's the test of insecurity. God said, before I can take you to the next miracle that I have for you, I've got to make sure that your motivation is not proving something to someone. 
Because as long as you live your life based on how people see you, how they perceive you, what they you're going to respect as respectfully. If respect means that much to you, you will miss all that God has for you. God said, before I can take you to the next level, I've got to make sure that my opinion of you matters more than anybody else's opinion of you. Three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. First one is this, write this down. Confidence doesn't demand attention. Confidence, when, when you know who you are, you're not really concerned about what people think about you. But we're in church, can we tell the truth? We're really concerned about what people think about us. I'm not, I don't care, Pat. I'm really concerned. Forget you. I'm concerned. Why would a kid ride down a hill and jump a mountain bike off a ramp? The same reason an adult would buy a car they can't afford. Do it. I'm coming for y'all lives today. Boom, boom, boom. Because I'm concerned about how people view me. Why would a kid ride a mountain bike down a hill and jump off a ramp that he doesn't want to do? The same reason you insist on working that business that seven experts say, that's not going to make it. That ain't it. Well, hang on, wait. But I know what I'm doing. Watch me. What do you have to prove? Why would a kid ride a mountain bike down a hill and jump off a ramp when he doesn't want? The same reason why you're dating that person. That four people who love you dearly keep telling you, that ain't it. This is a little sidebar. You ever had a family member or a friend excited to introduce you to their new boo? Like, listen, listen, you, you, you got to meet him. You got, I'm going to bring him over to cook up. You got, I'm going to use I'm telling his muscles, I'm telling you. Oh, she bad, she bad. And you, you're hype. You want them married because they are bugging you out. We need, offload you on somebody. <laughs> and you, you're, and then you finally meet them. And you're like, well, here's Mr. Right. Here's, and you're like, Where they at? Is that the taxi driver who dropped them off? Where? Oh no, that's them? (laughs) What do you think? Run for your life. Why does everybody who genuinely cares for you and is not jealous of you and are telling you that ain't it. And yet you're, con- this is it. What do you have to prove? And you know what we don't realize, and I'm not preaching down at you. It, 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 a lot of our decisions are from a place of I got to prove something. Maybe I got to prove it to myself. But hear me, as long as my focus is to perform for other people, I'll never have peace. And I'll never find the purpose that God has for me. And watch this. You have a God-given need for people to respect you. It's not insecurity that you want people to admire what you're doing in your life. Here's what God said. God said, I will make your name great. 
Why would he bother to make your name great if it wasn't important? It's important that you have a good name. But hear me, Satan will always offer a shortcut to something that God has already promised you. God said, I will make your name great. You don't have to worry about it. Satan says, he's taking too long. Jump off this cliff and prove it. And watch this. He said, because it is written. You know Satan knows scripture and he will spiritualize foolishness. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's amazing how we can spiritualize bad decisions. This, this not, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. I get this all the time. Pastor, can, 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 I want to talk. Do you have a moment? Can I share something? Okay, yeah, I want your advice. Okay, tell me. You know, tell me about somebody they're dating, the business they want to start, or whatever it may be. And they start the conversation with, so God told me to. Cool. Why are you talking to me? Well, I want to know what you think. No, you don't. Because you just told me God told you. So if I disagree with anything that comes after that statement, that means I'm disagreeing with God. So go do what you're convinced God told you to do. Why you got to talk to me? You don't need me. <laughs> huh? We can spiritualize our imagination. You ever prayed yourself into something that you know wasn't God? I remember I was, I didn't date a lot of girls, but I dated this one girl. She was Jamaican. Chick was crazy. I'm just, <laughs> nothing against Jamaicans, but this Jamaican, bruh, wild. <laughs> And it's bad when you're dating the wrong person and you're in church because everything convicts you because you just know you're wrong. Preacher is like, hey, on your way out, I should be leaving shit. <laughs> Preacher like, as some of you know, you're like, I know, I know. <laughs> and I would sit in church and I... And it, just convicted, this ain't the person God has for you. And then I'll go, well, I, I got to pray about it. And I go home and pray and I find me some verse about long suffering. <laughs> Don't call things not as though they are. And I'll pray myself into three more months. Just because you put a verse on it doesn't mean it's God. And if you're going to step into all that God has for you, he is saying, are you going to make decisions from what you're trying to prove to other people or prove to yourself? Are you making decisions based on how it makes you look? Or are you making decisions based on it taking you to the purpose that God has for you? Can I help you out? Because a lot of God decisions will make you look stupid. When you really do what God's telling you to do, you're going to look like a punk sometimes. Because him mess around and make you apologize to people who aren't sorry. Him mess around and have you keep your mouth shut even though they're talking about you. Him mess around and have you leave a job that is somebody else's answered prayer. You left that? Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's wild when God tells you to walk away from something that is somebody else's miracle. They would kill for that, and God's saying, no, that's not the best that I have for you. 
The Bible, let me just read the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What, what is it saying? It's saying that God's path to your purpose will not make sense to everybody else. If you have the time, it won't even make sense to you. And if you're paralyzed by what people think of you, you won't have the ability to follow God's plan for you. Some of us is not proving something to someone else, it's proving something to ourselves. And we're, we're smack dab where God's called us to be, but yet we're paralyzed with guilt of we should be doing something else. So maybe you're in a season where you're staying home with the kids and you're overwhelmed with guilt because you feel like I should be out there working, adding income to the household. Or maybe you're out there working, adding income to the household, and you're overwhelmed with guilt because you feel like I should be spending more time with the kids. If you're not certain I'm not doing this for how I feel or what they think, I'm doing it solely for who God's called me to be, you will keep on stepping in and stepping out of the purpose that God has for you. When I was 16, I got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time and got called into the ministry. What do you mean called? Did you hear a voice? No, I just had a conviction that there's nothing else I wanted to do with my life than appoint people to Jesus. Now, that was a big deal for me because my dad was a pastor longer than I've been alive. So my entire life up to 16, I told God, I'll do anything you want me to do except be a pastor. I love God. I had nothing to do with wrong with God. It was the people I didn't want to deal with. You people would be crazy. I said, I want to deal with these people. God, I just, my goal, I want to start a business, be rich as a God, and I'll tithe. I'll be, I'll be the biggest giver. I won't be no pastor. But at 16, he just arrested my heart. And he said, there's nothing else I could see myself doing. And he said, one thing. He said, serve your dad's ministry until I tell you something different. So from 16 to 18, 18 to 20, 20 to 22, 22, 23. I'm serving in my dad's church and nothing he promised me I'm seeing. I got friends that are going off to Bible college. I got friends that are getting jobs as campus pastors and student pastors and all these doors are opening up for them and I'm just, what are you doing? Let me tell you the truth. I don't know. He told me to stay. This is why I don't really trust guest speakers. We get a guest speaker you in church. I let them preach. Now I shove them up the back door because guest speakers be shady. Every guest speaker that would come to my dad's church tried to hire me. I said, what are you doing here? I'm being faithful. Is your dad paying you? <laughs> the Lord shall provide. <laughs> why don't you come with me and help me with? I can't. Why not? I don't know. God told me stay here. And everybody, oh my gosh, he was a pastor at 23 and look what Union Church has become. You know how this happened? I stayed in a wilderness that made no sense. That prophet after prophet came in and said, you're wasting your anointing. And I said, maybe, but this is what God told me to do. So I'm going to do what he told me to do. If you have to have everybody approve with your decisions, you'll never step in all that God has for you. Second thing is this, write this down, write this down. I must have confidence in my calling. Satan said, if you are the son of God, prove it. 
Now, I don't want to call you Satan, but, okay, let me talk about myself and just know, look at your neighbor, say, he's really talking about you. He's really talking about <laughs> Satan was trying to get Jesus to prove that he was real. How many times do we make God prove himself to us? Either verbally or subconsciously. How many times do we think, God, if you really loved me, you would answer this prayer. God, if you loved me, my loved one would be healed by now. God, if you loved me, I'd have a job by now. God, if you loved me, you would open this door. If I love you, did you not see I sent my only son who shed his blood, who gave his life? Whether God loves you or not was confirmed on the cross of Calvary. But yet subconsciously, we keep making God prove himself to us. And it's not because he's unfaithful. It's because we're insecure. It's like that person that you keep telling him that you love them and they keep on asking, do you love me? Do you, yes. Well, yes. You ask me one more time. <laughs> About to tell you no. Sheesh. Now, what I try to do is preach the word of God, but also to be honest. It's a lot easier to say, don't be insecure, than it is to not be insecure. It's really easy to say, don't live your life based on what people think. But every time I preach, I get off the platform, go in the back room, and I say, what y'all think? <laughs> don't laugh at me, I'm under my... No, seriously. So the question is, how do I be, how, where do I find my confidence? How do I become secure? How do I stop being a people pleaser? And you know what a bunch of super spiritual people will say? You just need to get into the presence of the Lord. You need to pray. If you get into the anointing, you'll be secure. Stare into the eyes of Jesus. I don't know how to stare into the eyes of Jesus. Where is he? Can I say something wild, but I promise you, I'll back it up with scripture. Time in the presence of Jesus does not fix your insecurity. His presence is important, but his presence isn't a magic wand that makes you secure. I'm going to say something that sounds so carnal, but I'll back it up, I promise you. You know what brings security? Winning. It can't be that simple. It's that simple. The more you win, the more confident you become. The more you lose, the more insist. Where do I get my confidence? I used to play football back when weight didn't matter. This was like, <laughs> y'all are heartless. You laugh at me, won't No, I was about 12, 13. I played for the Randallstown Panthers. Pop Warner football. And we were good until we played a team called Northwood. Listen, it was 13 and under. We drive up the field and we're in our school bus. We get out. All the Northwood players drove themselves to the game. <laughs> Listen. When the 13-year-old team got driver's license, you know you're in trouble. 
these grown men would get out the car. They got their three kids with them. Full beard. How a 13-year-old got a full beard? I'm not making this up. If you were in that age group in Maryland, you know football. They were undefeated for five years straight. Went to Disney World, played on ESPN, and my dumb coach kept scheduling games against them. They got out of the car. They're like, we're going to destroy you. And me and my teammates are like, they're going to destroy us. And guess what they did? They destroyed They were confident because they won. We were insecure because we couldn't win. You got to get some wins under your belt. God goes to Moses and Moses, I've called you to be a deliverer to the people. Moses says, well, what are they going to think about me? But I've got this stutter. And when Moses brought his insecurity to God, God did not say, ooh, come, come into my presence. I'll make you secure. Look what God said. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, he said this. So the Lord said to him, let's get you some security. What's in your hand? He said, a rod. God said, cast it on the ground. So Moses threw the rod on the ground, and it became a serpent. Hey, y'all, I do a lot of things. I don't do snakes. I do spiders. I do mosquitoes. I do wasps. I don't do snakes. If there's a snake in the backyard, my wife's going to have to kill it. I ain't killing it. You're not a man. I don't got nothing to prove to you. This is the most biblical verse I've ever seen in my life. So Moses fled from it. That's the man of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Y'all, I don't do snakes, but I watch Animal Planet. And Animal Planet told me, don't grab a snake by the... First of all, don't grab a snake. But if you got to grab a snake, don't grab it by the tail because its head can wrap around and... I think Moses was like, I ain't going to grab it. God's like, if you don't grab it, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) It's like... How do you want to die? Snake? God. (laughs) He grabs it by the tail. He reached his hand and caught it. Watch this. And it turned back into a rod. So let's break this down. He has a rod in his hand, but he's a shepherd. In that time, a shepherd's rod was his journal. Every time he had a significant encounter, he would etch an emblem on that rod to remind him of that moment. So when Moses married Zipporah, he etched it on the staff. When Moses separated from Zipporah, he etched it on the staff. When God said, Moses, I've called you to be a deliverer, he etched it on the staff. When Moses took matters into his own hand and murdered an Egyptian, he, that wasn't just a rod. It was every win and every loss that he's ever experienced. God says, I've got to get you some confidence. Here's how we're going to do it. Can you finally let go of your past? You've been holding on to every win and every loss and have been acting like that defines your future. Let it go. Moses finally drops his history. And his history turns into what all of us think our history will do. Come back to bite us. Come on now. He throws down his story. It turns into a snake. And God said, don't you dare be afraid of your past. Grab it. 
I don't want to grab it. I'm going to kill you. Okay, okay. <laughs> because that divorce does not define you. And that abortion is not the end of your story. And that foreclosure is not the end of your story. And part of your insecurity is you think your past defines your future. And God says, it's not your past that disqualifies you for your future. It is the fact that I've called you and I know you and I knew the mess ups would come and I knew the detours would come and I still had a great plan for your future. Watch this. He picks up the rod and it turns into a staff again. Y'all know your Bible. What did he part the Red Sea with? When they were crying out for water, what did he strike the rock with and water came gushing out? When Pharaoh said, oh, I need to see something to know that you're from God, and he throws it down, and it turns into a snake, and it devours the snake that the sorcerers had created, what did he use? When Israel said, we don't have to listen to you, and he stuck it in the tabernacle, and it budded, representing the favor of God, it was the same thing that he was ashamed of and did not want to drop in the presence of God. God is saying the things you don't want other people to know about, the things that you think disqualify you are the exact things I'm going to use to bring your victory. Listen, when you throw a staff on the ground and it turns into a snake, you're pretty certain God's with you. When you see a miracle in your life, there's a confidence that comes on you. Oh, man, I'm not in this by myself. When you've seen enough miracles, you're no longer intimidated by interviews. You start saying crazy stuff like, you don't get to decide whether I get the job or not. I mean, can I, please don't say that out loud. That might mess things up. But you need to walk in with the confidence of, you're interviewing me, but you're not the decision maker. Because my steps were ordered by God before you woke up this morning. And if that's what God has for me, it's already mine. Confidence comes when you know who's got your... So we got to get you some confidence. Can I teach you how to get a miracle? You ready? Four quick steps. You'll give them 30 seconds. Step number one, get into the presence of God. He'll speak to you. As you pray, as you read your word, as you are in Sunday service, here, God's going to tell you to do something. It may be to forgive somebody. It may be to tithe. He did tell you to tithe. It's in the Bible. He may tell you to put your wife or your husband's needs above your own. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Get in his presence, hear from God. Step number two, obey. When you obey, look for the miracle. Hear, hear me. God always, not sometimes, God always rewards obedience with miracles. So when you obey, and you see God do something for you that you could not do for yourself. That's the comfort. Oh, man. He's with me. Whole time I thought I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps. They lied to me. I don't got to pull nothing up. He got me. When you see him moving in this area and that area, here's the thing. When you've got a miracle here, 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 and there, you ain't worried about the one that hasn't happened yet because you know the same God who did that and that and that is going to do that. As, and then 
A Christian that has seen God do things for them is a scary individual. Their chest is just out a little bit. Their head's just a little bit straighter. There's just a confidence about them of, I like you, but I don't got nothing to prove to you because I know who I am. Last thing is, let's write this down. The word divides confidence and arrogance. There's some people who live their life, I ain't got nothing to prove to you. And it's arrogance. It's not confidence. There's some people in their life, I got nothing to prove to you. And it's confidence. It's not arrogance. How do I know the difference? Because I'm not trying to teach you, go out there and say, forget everybody else. Just do you. That's not the message. The message is, live a life with nothing to prove to you. How do I know the difference between confidence and arrogance? Hear me, it's not the action, it's the intention behind the action. Because sometimes it's faith to say something in the midst of adversity. And sometimes it's arrogance to say something when God told you to be quiet. Sometimes it's faith to keep quiet even though they're running their mouth. And sometimes it's God how do I know? It's not the action. It's, it's just simply, why did you do that? Is the why? Because if it didn't happen, you would look bad. Is the why? Because I've got to, I've got to, why'd you go back to get that degree? Because you got something to prove? Or, or because this is what God's called me to do. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just trying to make an impact. I'm, I'm not trying to perform. I'm just trying to walk out my purpose. Now here's the problem. We be lying to ourselves. You, 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 ever, you ever told somebody, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not, come on parents, when you whoop your kids, you be lying to them. It's gonna hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. No, 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 it hurts me. It hurts me. You'll lie. We could tell ourselves we're doing something for good reasons, and truth be told, we're doing it for selfish reasons. The Bible says this in Hebrews. Chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What's the two edges? Confidence, arrogance. How do I know which? The sword will divide. And it'll let you know. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. You can play. Can, 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 I, can I help you with the soul and the spirit? Spirit is God. Soul is you. Soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Sometimes we say, God told me. Baby girl, that wasn't God. That was you. You ate that bad pizza. You stayed up late night watching that movie. You had that dream. That dream was not God. You ever had somebody coming to you? I had a dream about you. No, you didn't. That ain't got nothing to do with me. That ain't God. How do I know if it's my imagination or if it's the word of God is what divides? 
if it doesn't line up with scripture, it ain't Jesus. I don't care how many angels were in your dream. And watch this. It can't just be one verse. Can I teach you how to find heresy? If there's only one verse in the Bible that backs it up, it's not God's word. Because Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be. If you really want to be grounded in God's word, I need proof in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Not just if I had time to tell you. People find one, one verse. You can preach anything you want off of one verse. That's how they said slavery was biblical. You grab one verse out of context. That's how they say women aren't allowed to speak in church. You grab one verse, don't know the historical context, and try to build a denomination off of it. A different service. Okay, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. Let me, okay, back to the Bible. Here we go. All right. No, no, no. God, here's what I wanted. God, God, does this confirm in your word? God, is this what you have for me? All right. Here we go. I'm not even sure, but I don't live life for my own assurity. My parents are going to understand. My friends are going to think I'm wasting my life, but I'm not living for their approval anymore. God, you said it. I believe it. That settles it. And I'm telling you, heaven's like, yeah. Now we can give them all that we've had for them. Because whoever you perform for controls you. So as long as you're performing for them, you'll never be controlled by God. But the second you say, God, I'm living for an audience of one, and that's you. God said, test, pass. Now here's your miracle. Father God, we're grateful. God, we are thankful. I'm thankful for all the tests I've failed. And yet you didn't give up on me. God, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, that we'd start to see confirming miracles in every single area of our lives. Right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal for you. I think for all of us, God is saying, who are you making your decisions for? for what people think about you or what I've called you to. Maybe you're in this room, this auditorium, and if you were to be honest, you would say, Pastor, it's been a long time since I've thought about what God thinks about me. It's not that I don't believe in God. I've just been kind of doing my own thing. Hey, I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is if you're doing your own thing, you're doing your own thing and you're in it by yourself. And this world and this life is impossible to conquer by yourself. The good news is that God is right here waiting for you to invite him into your story. He ain't going to force himself in, but he's waiting for you to say, I need you. So that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church. You just never surrendered to the God of the church, or maybe you're new to a church, you, you don't even know that God wants to be a part of your life. Well, he does, and he's waiting for you to respond. So if that's you, this is your moment. 
You don't have to stand up. You don't have to walk an aisle right where you're sitting. If you say, I know that, if that's you, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for shedding your blood, for dying on the cross, so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. In this moment, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for everyone?